With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, YWales, wherever you are in the world. Today is one of those really exciting and slightly different uh, specials. We're not going to be talking too much crypto, certainly going to be a little bit, definitely no NFTs, maybe we might dive into it slightly, but today we're with Anderson, and we're going to really start kind of diving into the responsible side of blockchain and crypto, which is your tax issues that you've created for yourself. Um, while I am clearly unqualified to have this conversation, uh, I've brought in Mr. Uh, Chicago Mike, and we have Ed and Hi from Anderson here to really help talk through you know, how to start managing or thinking about your cryptocurrency portfolio, as well as your tax exposure. So with that, let's go ahead and, and, and meet our two uh, guests today. Ed, how are you, sir? I'm excellent. Thanks, Jay. Um, so my name is Ed Schulte. I'm a managing director in Anderson's Alternative Investment Funds Practice in San Francisco. I work with cryptocurrency funds, hedge funds, and venture funds. I have about 20 years of experience working with alternative investment funds. Um, however, the crypto portion of my portfolio has been building up over the last five years as it's a fairly new industry. Um, and I just want to thank Jay for having us here today to talk about cryptocurrency taxation. Absolutely. Hi, how are you? Great, great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm Hai Tang. I'm also a managing director with Anderson. So my practice area covers uh, venture capital, private equity funds, and their uh, um, their startup uh, companies. Uh, in terms of crypto, I've been involved with crypto for the last six years. Um, I've worked with uh, uh, over 50 companies or funds in this space, and some of them have grown into um, you know, some of the best known <laughs> companies out there in the crypto space, uh, enjoying uh, great success. Um, anyway, just happy to be here and speak with you. Um, again, these are all uh, both funds and also companies that, you know, launch their own tokens through, you know, initial coin offerings. And again, I'll leave it there. <laughs> 
Awesome, awesome. So, uh, quick disclosures uh, for everyone out there. Um, anything you hear today is not your own financial advice in any way, shape, or form. If you like anything you hear or see today, please reach out to uh, Anderson uh, individually, and, and I'm sure they would be more than happy to have a consultation with you, and we'll get to that towards the end. Uh, but nothing today is, is uh, general tax advice that anyone should listen to other than a great conversation we hope to have here uh, on the show. Um, Mike, what's your what's real quick? What's been your exposure right now in dealing with uh, cryptocurrencies? Because you're a couple of years into this now, um, <clears throat> have you felt good about those end of the year filings on what you've been doing online? You know, it's interesting. The first year, uh, so for 2020 uh, in 2021, I didn't really have a lot of complexity, and I, I really felt like I, I had a handle on things. And I think it's a tale of two two cities because now for 2022, looking back at 2021's filing year. Uh, things have gotten crazy. You know, uh, I had started yield farming and started working on things that uh, I think probably subject me to questions that are not easily answered. And I think a lot of us feel the same way that we're looking for uh, guidance. Obviously, we're, we're hopeful that there's a lot more crystallization in the next few you know years. But for 2021, a lot of people did a lot of new things and tried a lot of new things. And uh, maybe near the end of the year, felt like they, they ended up down, although they're tax bill might show otherwise. So I'm excited to hear what, what these guys have to say about recent court cases, about their experience with uh, the IRS. And also, I guess another question people have is, you know, what to do with, uh, with the whole concept of, of NFTs. And if you, uh, if you minted an NFT, uh, you know, do those costs offset the gains? And if you, if you held them and they went up in value uh, and then you sold them, do you owe, you know, et cetera, things like that. So we're, we're all really curious I mean, think about what, what the best practices are. But in general, I don't know anybody that's happy or comfortable with their, uh, with their filing concept. And it's not about the money they're paying. It's just uncertainty. Yeah, no, and, and I thought that, you know, we might avoid the NFT conversation. You made it clear there's Maybe not that. a chance of it. So there we go. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, Ed and Hi, let's, uh, let's jump back over to you guys. Uh, we're, we're very excited, but let's, let's first start with Anderson um, and, and, and what you guys offer today and the types of clients that you're seeing coming in. And then obviously we'd love to run through your deck and, and really understand the offerings that you have for, for those of us that are uh, a little heavier than others in the cryptocurrency space. So I can talk a little bit about, you know, the clients that we've, we've seen. Obviously, um, um, there is the investors, which includes um, individuals and also uh, funds that, um, you know, for example, venture capital funds or hedge funds that invest in the space. And some are um, buy and hold, right? So, for example, they could buy uh, new cryptocurrencies on a pre-sale basis uh, or SAFT before the tokens are launched and then they hold it for a couple of years and finally the tokens are launched and hopefully they make a huge amount of money and yet I've seen people making a huge amount of money in Solano and a lot of the new <laughs> cryptocurrencies, um, great. And there's some are just trading, right? The traders, they trade, um, you know, Bitcoin, Ether based on the volatility. Uh, again, they can also make a lot of money and one of my clients is a, you know, basically a high frequency trader. They're basically, it's just it's just so so easy for them to make money. At least that's their sentiment. Um, there's <laughs> also easy, easy easy to lose it too, though. Unfortunately, <laughs> if you have depends on your algorithm. Um, you know. Anyway, uh, the other side of the you know. 
Bitcoin is the um, the companies that are issuing you know new cryptocurrencies, right? Um, I mean, ICO or initial coin offering was all the rage in seventeen or eighteen, really, before the SEC kind of started cracking down, and you know some of the firms were reached out by the SEC to basically, hey, you didn't follow these rules, and and a lot of them have to settle with the SEC. Um, and, um, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a revival, uh, mostly offshore uh, initial coin offerings. Um, it's cautious, but uh, we're seeing more of that. Um, I'll, I'll leave it there. And Ed, you have any more to add? Yeah, so I guess uh, one, one area where I differ from high is I'm strictly in the, um, in the fund space. And so we're working with um, professional investment managers. We're also working with family offices. And kind of as these things develop and evolve, what we're seeing is a lot of our clients jumping into these new revenue streams before fully understanding the taxation. And one of the reasons they don't understand the taxation is there isn't guidance on how certain things should be taxed. Um, but everybody's kind of moving forward, and then we're coming in and kind of assisting people with figuring out the right way to do things, the, the proper positions to take on their tax return. Um, what we do find a lot of also is people just trying to figure out how they organize the data. So how to organize the economic data, and then we can apply taxation to it. So, there, you know, there's there's a hurdle even before, even before that, um, just compiling the information. And I think uh, early on in the industry, people weren't tracking this information very well. And so it's kind of led to this as we've kind of, as the industry has kind of has grown up a little bit in the last few years, you know, you're seeing a lot more internal controls and a lot more questions and a lot more scrutiny. You know, and it's really interesting <clears throat> to, to think about the changes just in the last two or three years, um, you know, in the span that you guys were really talking since Anderson has kind of gotten much deeper into this, which is there, not only is there not any, you know, clear regulation and clear guidelines for people, but the, the, protocols are changing so rapidly and the asset class is, you know, and just in the last couple of years tripled, you know, from less than a trillion to it, at one point it hit three trillion. Now it's back down to about one and a half trillion. Um, but, but as we kind of continue to, to think about how do you plan for this, it's really hard when in the middle of the year, there's a new regulation that will come down or a new ruling and it changes everything. You know, we just heard uh, recently that staking um, and the rewards you get from staking are no longer a taxable uh, or may may not be a taxable uh, event. I don't want to say for certainty because even though the Supreme Court said it, doesn't mean that someone's not going to change it before the time this thing airs. Um, are, are you guys seeing? How do you even track that level of volatility in that many court cases around the country? Yeah, we obviously get these uh, updates uh, closely. Um, you know, we got our news uh, sources um, and and uh, also conferences and to try to keep track of it there um unfortunately there there even though the industry is evolving rapidly there haven't been many cases or rulings um so there are some legislative attempt to try to change things like the build back better act unfortunately that well i guess also you could say it's fortunately it didn't get passed um so we're still left in the dark on many issues, and um, so. Um, uh, anyway, uh, Ed, do you have anything to add? Um, so yeah, there's, no. There's, there's no, there's no, there's no great way. Like it's just you guys are having to put in that much work. 
Well, we definitely, you know, we definitely have working within within a public accounting firm. There's an infrastructure and there's services that provide you timely information and feed it to you. But I think a lot of times, you know, sometimes, you know, we hear we sometimes hear things from our clients because some things start as rumors. Um, I think with the change, the change to staking income. I'm not. I don't believe that there's a court case yet that is that has set a precedent. Um, but we do, you know, we do hear about that and things bubble up. And I think sometimes the way the media portrays things is they make something seem much more certain than it actually is. Um, and so you just got to understand that when you're reading media reports, what we do is we go directly, you know, we're going to go directly to the court cases and the rulings to see what they actually say. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, let's zoom out a little bit. The, the, the issue that, uh, that you guys are talking about in terms of you know spotting regulatory changes uh, is going to probably be pretty frothy in the next couple couple of years, even as as some certainty from the IRS and from the, uh, the, the the tax courts and of course the district courts and then even the administration happens. But before we get to that point, what percentage of your clients that are not crypto funds, but percentage of your clients that are what we would call more tradfi, whether they be family offices or closely held or publicly held corporations, are actually asking you for crypto advice. The, the, the question comes out of a out of a suspicion that uh, there's a healthy number of of clients that are now asking you, even if they're just dipping their toe in the water. Is it five percent, ten percent, fifty percent, and everybody? What's the thermometer like right now on this topic inside the firm, I guess from both of your perspectives, other than the crypto funds, which I think is self-explanatory. Yeah, well, obviously the crypto funds are asking the most questions, but anybody that's that's dipping their toe into this space is, is going gonna, is gonna to have questions. I would say it's probably like 20% of my clients. So some of my funds are, you know, the, 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 the agreement mandates a certain type of investing and they'd have to change the agreement um, to, to do crypto investing, but some will change the agreement um, and some have the flexibility to do that. Um, but we do probably get about 20%. But I would say right now, the funds that are launching are predominantly crypto funds. And so typically in the past, I would have a portfolio of, of a lot of hedge fund clients that are tra- trading marketable securities that's really shifting towards cryptocurrency launches. So that, that's, you know, even though my non-cryptocurrency clients will dabble in it and have questions about it, um, there's, a, there's a ton of funds that are launching that are they're doing all sorts of things in crypto. And then everybody's, you know, everybody's doing different things. You know, there's, it's pretty common to have some sort of staking component going on. Um, there's not a lot of mining for my funds. Um, and, and, and then NFTs pop up and people, you know, some people want to set up a full NFT fund. Some people might want to invest in NFT. So it, it, it's really all over the place. You know, what's the, on that, on that same topic, when people, you know, are, when you get these new funds that are coming to you with, with asking for crypto advice or saying that they want to get into to cryptocurrencies, how experienced are these teams? Are these, you know, fun, this is somebody who's t- doing fund number three, fund number four, and now they'd like to have more exposure? Or are these a lot of brand new, brand new teams, brand new operators that are that are moving into the space? Yeah, a lot of my new clients are brand new, uh, you know, fund managers. So they may have obviously they have invest, investing <laughs> experience, but not as a fund manager and the starting brand new. 
and they're asking how to set up, you know, their operations, uh, where, and we'll tell, we'll tell them, you know, the do's and don'ts. Um, so, yes, I think I, I'm seeing a lot of brand new uh, crypto fund managers. So, so that would, you know, really kind of lead, and we'll just take a guess here, that it really is that hard to take a traditional up and running fund and, and incorporate a large percentage of cryptocurrencies because generally the people that they sought out those initial funds from and did their fundraising, you know, were comfortable with the initial theses. And this new asset class is just that difference. Um, you know, having dabbling in, in a number of things is, is just good covering your hedges. Um, but to say that you're, you know, not 5% into cryptocurrencies, but 95% into cryptocurrencies is really what, what you guys are seeing is requiring a whole new team, a whole new theses, and a whole new, whole new group to really start up and, and move down that pipe. Yeah, and you could have, I mean, you could have a fund, you know, a fund that has established funds in different areas. They're more likely to set up a new fund doing strictly crypto than to try and incorporate it into a fund that already has an investment thesis going. What have you seen that in other uh, other asset classes or throughout your your careers, where um, you know essentially a new asset class pops up and the funds don't just absorb it, but actually have to start fresh to be able to properly uh, navigate themselves? Well, I guess I would I, I see it mostly with um, public and private securities. So generally, there'd be you, you would separate those those funds into two portfolios. So private and and, and marketable securities. Um, I don't know if I've seen. I mean, I don't know if I have seen a um, an industry start up like this. This seems like it's quite um, quite radical. Very cool. What, what what advice are you guys giving companies that are uh, giving groups of, of of principles that are saying where should I set up, where should I locate, where should I base this? Um, are are you finding that uh, people are asking that question, or are they just trying to navigate? Uh, you know, the money center cities, London, New York, and 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 Tokyo, etc. Yeah, so I think the first uh, the first step is setting up the structure of an investment vehicle, and there's a pretty standard there's pretty standard ways of setting up those structures, and and they typically work very well in a cryptocurrency fund also, and so you know you have you have you have funds called standalone funds, which is a single fund. This is usually a fund that you would you you would invest in if you only have domestic investors. Then there's uh, there's master feeder structures. That can help. That can that can structure it in a way where it has an offshore blocker corporation for your tax exempt investors and your foreign investors, and then an onshore feeder for your for your U.S. investors. And so that blocks some of the potential um, ECI effectively connected income issues and um, unrelated business income tax issues that those two types of investors w- would have respectively. But the, the one, geography, no one's saying you guys aren't hearing people ask, or you're not telling people to think about another country altogether. Oh well, so when it comes to that, what? So a lot of times the platforms that are emerging to do the to do the trading of these um, investments um, will not allow a U.S. a U.S. person or entity to to go into that platform. And so what I've been seeing, you know, not a tax thing, but uh, from a regulatory thing, I've seen. Uh, Clients setting up disregarded entities below their below their their fund, 
And so that just means that they set up a foreign they set up a foreign entity that's 100% owned by the fund. For U.S. tax purposes, it's just considered uh, it's not considered an entity at all. It consolidates into the it consolidates into the fund. It only has a um, it only has a an additional reporting requirement that that's fairly routine, also related to owning a foreign disregarded entity. So that's what we typically see. And how you would add to that? Oh, how yeah, what? it's just yeah. A lot of it is because of the uh, offshore exchanges, right? So the the ones that's not um, you know Coinbase, right? So they don't accept U.S. Uh, account holders. So in order to open an account there, like Binance, for example, you have to have go have to use a foreign entity, and they're kind of forced into it. And I think we all know why. <laughs> when when you guys are, you know, again, there's we're talking about the really smart ones that are coming to you beforehand and coming to you and saying we'd like to do this. Here's here's our plans. Help us set this up. That's the correct way to do it. I'm going to assume that's not always how your first calls go. <laughs> so for those, for those uh, people that, that have been in the space for a while and um, simply realizing that what a very small investment may have now turned into a very large investment, and they're now trying to un- understand their liabilities, trying to understand um, you know, the best way to, to manage these, what, what's kind of the process that you guys would go through for an intake of, of someone who's probably not properly disclosed, um, made an attempt to in all cases, because we always say, pay your taxes. Absolutely pay your taxes. If you made money, pay your taxes. But some people just didn't understand what was happening out in the DeFi space. What's the best way for someone to come to you and be prepared to have that conversation? So I do definitely have, I definitely have prospects that come in and they want to do things the right way and the proper way. But initially when they start, when they got going, they kind of just put it together you know, they just kind of, they just put it all together and they might've done things that you, you, you generally wouldn't do. You know, they didn't have legal agreement agreements in place. People were giving them cryptocurrencies to trade before there was any, before there was any entity in place. And then they're like, we're going to set up a fund. We want to do this the right way. We understand that we're not doing it the right way. So I think, you know, one of the good things is that when you start a fund, that's a new entity. So anything that happens before that, you know, can kind of be separated from that. And but when the if you're going to start a fund and you're going to have in-kind cryptocurrency transactions to start that fund, you know, you have to be very careful because if it's a non-taxable transaction, the cost basis carries over. And so if you weren't reporting that income properly in the past, that issue will will carry over. Um, but when we vet our clients, you know, we go through that we go through those issues, you know, it could it it could be one way to remedy all of that is through amending prior returns to get everything current and up to date as much as possible. You generally have to go back three years due to the statute of limitations. Um, and then you kind of have a clean slate and we can move forward. Now, I haven't had anybody that's had to do that. Usually, when you start a fund, it's difficult to have crypto contributions to start the fund you need cash to start the fund. And the reason is that the auditors that have to audit it from a gap perspective really don't like uh, crypto contributions. So if it's a new fund with cash contributions, everything's starting fresh. And any of those past issues, you know, you get the accounting in place, you get the audit in place, you get the tax professionals in place. That's going to make it 
that that's going to mitigate a lot of those issues you have. It's going to mitigate all the issues you had when you didn't really know what you were doing. Yeah. So, what's the trajectory to where you see be, people being able to use crypto to seed these? I think it will happen more over time because I think the auditors will get comfortable with it. And when the auditors are comfortable with it, you'll be able to get an audit and then you'll be able to use cryptocurrency to seed. It does It does happen now, but it's. I think there's a very few firms that are willing to accept an audit client that's that's seeding their fund with cryptocurrencies. Do, do the auditors understand the difference between stable coins and normal cryptocurrencies? Is, is that in any way uh, something that to look at? Is it is a fund that was seeded with USDC or DAI um, different from ones that were funded with ETH or, or BTC? Well, I think everything you do, you have to look at it on a case by case basis. And so I, I don't think the auditor, I don't think the auditors do. I don't think, you know, there's lots of things that are happening that people don't have a full handle on. And so that's what happens as we kind of evolve and we have these different, you know, different classifications of different types of coins and different revenue streams. It all has to be vetted out. People have to figure it out. The IRS has to provide guidance. The regulations have to catch up. And so it's 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 a messy process. And so I don't know if they do if they do differentiate between those right now. Um, but, you know, it may be have to be on a case by case basis and even different cryptocurrencies are on a case by case basis for how they're how, how they're treated. It's interesting. I mean, I think we can see the absurdity of the argument because we're pretty far down the rabbit hole. But you know, the fact that the money, if you count crypto as money, the money's on chain means you know exactly where it's been and where it came from. Uh, and yet the auditors can't get comfortable yet with, with that. Instead, they prefer to know where the source of cash was that funded an investment, even though that cash could have been in, in any number of places prior prior to being on the books that the auditors are examining. I mean, it's... it's uh, to me, it's, it's, it's not that I see the audit function going away necessarily. Uh, I don't think that'll ever happen. But I definitely think that that industry, your industry perhaps even, uh, is in for a sea change now that you have uh, sort of uh, self-declaratory uh, properties or immutable properties in terms of where you know funds come from and who they belong to and who they belong to in the past. Um, you know, the, the, the statute of limitations question uh, you know, is is out there all the time. You know, whether it's law or accounting. Uh, the irony being, though, that you know you can look back at a single, uh, you know, uh, derivative of crypto and find out exactly where it's been uh, for time immemorial. And it's kind of interesting to imagine that that the auditors are hanging up the innovation uh, in some manner, not totally, but in some manner on that topic, because of course uh, it's a lot cleaner. Uh, or at least in theory, it's a lot cleaner. I know there are examples where it isn't. But. Right. I think it's just, I mean, it's a transition. And so, you know, even, you know, you're saying it, it's it's more straightforward than cash, but it is a transition. And so it takes time for everybody to kind of get up to speed with that. So it could be the better way of doing it in the future. It's just the people, we all have to catch up to it, um, unfortunately. And Do you the see idea any that people aren't yet ready to stick their neck out and say we're okay with this because they're not sure whether the the the, the regulatory agencies or the IRS will or the SEC for that matter will will will, will grant them uh, 
you know, a pass when they when they make those statements? Is that the idea, or is it the like the FASBs and the, the self governance type agencies, uh, groups, and committees that, that auditors are concerned about? Um, I probably can't say for sure because I'm not I'm not an auditor, but I mean it's probably a combination. It's probably a combination of both. And, and with an audit, you know, the firm is is liable if those audits are not accurate, and so they have to make sure they can prove everything out. And they just don't have the they just they're just building up the technology and the knowledge to be able to do that. It's a different it's a different approach than you would take with a with something that's being funded by cash. You know, and, and on that note, let's talk about the tools. <clears throat> what do you guys yet uh, have good tools to, to track your clients, uh, or do your clients have good tools that they're using to hand to you guys? And you know, on that same note, you know, has the IRS, <laughs> who has very good tools for auditing and everything else, um, have they even come out with and an anything to help them through this process? Yeah, my clients typically have, you know, we encourage, we don't, by the way, we don't track them. It's really the, the client's responsibility. And we, uh, our clients have used various types of uh, crypto uh, software out there. And some are very, very good, um, you know, spit out exactly uh, the, the um, you know, the data we need. They, they, some even fill out some tax forms for them, right? So... That's great. Now, I have not gone through any RS audits, so I don't know how they're going to figure out um, besides relying on what, you know, the data that the client provided. Um, so Ed, do you have experience there? Or? Yeah, no, I think one of the things that uh, right now there's a huge need is is the accounting for these things. Not necessarily, you know, definitely tax is important, but the first step is the accounting, like I said earlier. And so a lot of a lot of my clients that are getting into this space, especially in a family office context where they're not using a professional administrator doing the accounting, is they're trying to figure out how do they how do they account for things. So I think there's a whole there's a whole bookkeeping industry there for crypt, for people trading cryptocurrency that I think could, could be very helpful. And, and so I think that that's also developing and we're working with our clients to source those solutions and to find the people that can handle that. And then that helps us, you know, that helps us greatly when we do the tax function to make sure that we have quality information. Um, and I'd say on the, on the tax side, you know, we have we have a lot of we have a lot of tools for what we do to do it very efficiently. So, so in the fund world, everything's a partnership, and so we're doing we're doing tax allocations, and the tax allocations can be very complicated. We have a plat, we have an automated platform for doing tax allocations. Um, the nice thing about cryptocurrency right now is it's not taxed the same way as securities are, and so some of the anti abuse rules that you run into with securities you don't run into those with cryptocurrency. So the biggest one is a wash sale. You sell something for a loss and then you buy it back either 30 days before or 30 days after, the IRS says you don't get to take that loss until you dispose of the repurchase repurchase security. That's currently not applicable to cryptocurrencies. Um, however, the Build Back Better plan would make that applicable to cryptocurrencies. Um, there's another there's another anti-abuse rule related to constructive sales that's also not applicable to cryptocurrency currently that the Build Back Better plan would change. Um, the only major anti-abuse rule that I think applies right now are the straddle rules. And that would be in a situation where you're doing hedging, 
with your cryptocurrency. And most of my clients haven't gotten to the point where they're doing hedging. But I would expect in the future that that would change as the strategies become more sophisticated. And so basically what this rule says is you go long and short. Let's say you go long and short in the same cryptocurrency and you sell the position, you sell the position that has a you sell the position that has a loss and then you hold on to the position that is a gain. You get to they want to take the tax loss now and defer the gain to the future. The straddle rules don't let you do that. Now, that sounds fairly simple, but when you're applying that to, you know, 1000, 10,000, 100,000 transactions, it can get very complicated. Everything we do, everything we do related to security analysis is algorithmic based. So I spend a lot of time writing code um, to analyze all of these transactions. So if this, you know, even though the Build Back Better plan is not going through, you're hearing about it. You're probably going to hear these same ideas over and over. At some point in the future, that law may change and they will be subject to it. And at that point, we're, you know, Anderson is ready to go um, to analyze, you know, watch sales for for cryptocurrencies. And not everybody may be prepared to do that at this point, because if you're dealing in a cryptocurrency world, you haven't had to worry about that. I was going to say, what, uh, when you're talking about those regulations coming down, and, and I try to avoid politics as best as I can on the show, um, but, but when these are coming down, who's, who's lobbying for the cryptocurrency agent, you know, um, industry? Do, we, do you see a, a productive lobbying group or lobbying groups around uh, in making sure that there's fair and honestly well-educated people in the space to, to pass these laws? Um, or are we seeing kind of the, the TradFi uh, banks try to, to continue to suppress this new asset class? Uh, there are definitely um, some on the crypto side, there are um, um, what call it, the NGOs. I can't remember the name now, but one of them was pretty public and I actually um, was invited to join. I, I didn't join, but uh, they do have a different groups. One of the group is about tax taxation of crypto so there they have people from the big four and various constituents there kind of discussing addressing how crypto should be taxed and they would you know talk to the government and say you know make their recommendations so yes they're trying to influence this and you know obviously you heard about this recent staking case (laughs) you could see footprints of uh, some of that too one of the questions I was going to ask is goes back to the specifics of the wash trading concept. Um, and generally speaking, I don't, I don't want you to be worried about providing tax advice, but I guess one of the tools that we looked at online said that there's a there's a chance that the IRS could say that um, that you know even though the washing the wash uh, trading rules don't apply, there's a, there's a notion that you're essentially buying and selling substantially the same thing. And then the in, in the example was. Uh, that I read online was, you know, uh, you know, taking ether and converting it to wrapped ether, uh, which if you're, you know, any kind of a, a DeFi uh, participant is a is a fairly common thing. Um, they are in fact different. They're fungible. Uh, they're they're not uh, the same thing, and yet they're pretty much the same thing. And so you could take both sides of that argument. Um, you know, to the extent that that this is right now treated as property, uh, as opposed to currency or, or security, um, you know what. I guess what what are you seeing in terms of uh, you know the that's probably the wrong question. What do you think about the the, the risks your clients are taking, or 
uh, are subjecting themselves to? Are they uh, wise to be conservative right now? Is it the Wild West? Is it, you know, let's wait out the statute of limitations and do whatever you want? What do you think people are, how are they behaving right now in your, in your client base? So I think it's, it's, it's a big hassle to get involved with the IRS and to be doing things that are questionable. So a lot of people want to just avoid that, avoid that headache. Now, when it comes to the wash sale rules, if you look at the code, the code section, it's, it's literally doesn't apply. It doesn't cover cryptocurrencies, which the industry generally treats as, as commodities. So, you know, a literal reading of the code, you would, you would say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't apply. And it's supported by the fact that the build back better plan is trying to enact changes to the statutes to include them. So that, so that's helpful, but you can also get someone that looks at the code and said, what is the intent of the code? Are you able to do the same abusive transaction with securities and cryptocurrencies? And I think logically the answer is the answer is yes. But the the, the statutes are not caught up are not caught up with with the current environment in this new asset class. I mean, I, I heard someone say that there's a discussion that you could argue that a, a 1031 could be subject. Uh, you can apply that to NFTs. Does that sound absurd to you? I thought that after the uh, 2017 tax reform, um, N31 only applies to real estate. So unless your NFT represents uh, interest in real estate, uh, you're probably not going to be able to apply. Perhaps it's aspirational then. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I I think the NFT is, uh, I mean, I, I don't think there's guidance on it yet, but I would say it's most likely a collectible, which has its own special um, capital gains rate of, uh, I believe, 28%. Yeah. We're, we're seeing people use NFTs as utilities and not necessarily as purely collectibles. And okay. I think that's that's an interesting uh, discussion point. Has anyone talked to you about the concept of using them as a utility, and does that make sense? Yeah, I've seen, um, again, this is, a, I'm not going to mention, but it's one of the big four firms uh saying that they actually think there may be a good position to say NFTs are not um, <clears throat> collectibles. Therefore, uh, the capital gains rate, long-term capital gains would, would be just like stock, right? So 20% instead of 28%. But I'm, I'm guessing that uh, for those NFTs that really represent some sort of interest in a physical collectible items, like say it's our piece, I would think that the NFT is still going to be collectibles. But for other functions like, you know, what you say, utilities, maybe we can have a much stronger argument to say this is a regular capital asset and not a collectible. You know, it's interesting because they will be, and we already see them sold as utilities or memberships in some cases. Um, you know, the, the thought around what can be in someone's blockchain wallet, regardless of what chain they're on, you know, it can be a number of assets, uh, currencies, um, memberships, uh, receipts in some cases. Um, I, I have a, and, and so this would be an interesting one that I'm sure no one's thought of, is I have a receipt for an NFT that I used to own um, and the receipt has somehow gained value. And, and so, you know, the, the thought around that of how, how to even quantify the fact that anything can be turned into a, so, a, a store of value, uh, even, even something as simple as a receipt that says, I own this at one point, I don't own it anymore, 
but people want the receipt because there's now value in the fact that I once owned this thing. And so, you know, how does that even come into play when we're talking about never before would anyone have paid for someone's, you know, CVS receipt? <laughs> I mean, that's like one of the wildest things I've ever heard. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If I told you the amount, it'd make you even more upset. I mean, the pe- people, uh, my, my and I was offered $10,000 for my receipt. Uh, wow. some, somebody else got it right around $50,000 for the receipt. And, and again, it's, it is just the fact that there's a store of information that, that some other people have feel is important or that they want access to. Yeah, no. So that, yeah, that's interesting. Like if there's information about, if there's information in that receipt that someone's paying for, I mean, then it would, I know you probably argue that it's not a collectible, it's something else. So I guess this is just one more evolution, kind of the NFTs are going to evolve and this is part of that evolution. And that is, um, I mean, that's very interesting. I I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) So that's why we have you on the show. None of us know know what to do. On the, uh, on the fund side, gentlemen, the, uh, how are the, the fund principals and the GPs looking to take compensation? Are they taking compensation in actual crypto? Are they looking at deferred compensation? What, what conversations are you guys having about compensation? So it's pretty. It's a pretty. It's pretty standard with how funds are are structured, and so there's a, there's this. The standard is a, a two and twenty, so a two percent management fee with a twenty percent carried interest. So you're basically getting a two percent of the assets that you're managing um, annually, and then twenty percent twenty percent of the profits. Now that can that can certainly fluctuate. It can be higher or lower, but that's pretty much the standard. Um, so we're really that's kind of what we're that's the main way that they're being compensated and then sometimes there'll be upfront estate planning that they'll do because you know when you give an asset away early on it has less value so it's better for estate taxes so you'll have a you'll have estate tax planning that they'll do you'll have trusts that are set up so they'll move things into their kids into the kids trust and things like that um that's typically what that's typically what we what we see, and then they're running a business, and so they do any any sort of the deferral mechanisms that you'd have in place for any sort of business. They they would be trying to do that. There'd be you know a retirement. There'd be retirement, most likely retirement plans in place. Yeah. Okay. So as as you are saying that, yeah, sometimes they you know the compensation is in cash, and sometimes it's in crypto, because um, a lot of times they choose crypto because that gives them, let's say, some sort of a tax advantage, right? So maybe deferred taxation or let's say the fund hasn't hold the, um, you know, the assets for more than three years. And so which uh, if it's longer than one year, it's good enough for the uh, investors, but not for the GP, as you know, the GP has to get three year holding period to, to get long term capital gain treatment on the carry. So they rather opt to uh, take the crypto and then hold it uh, before you know they and you know once it gets to three years and they sell it get long term capital gain. So sometimes there's that consideration. And, and is that those? And you specifically mentioned that the the two and twenty model. Um, you know, I guess the history of that you know comes out of out of the costs necessary to set up right registered funds and. And I uh, recruit team members. Is that? Do you think that's holding? Is it? Which wind is? Which way is the wind blowing on two and twenty in the crypto land? Are you, 
if you could see it going larger or smaller if you had to guess or is it staying the same i think it's mostly the it's mostly the the 20 percent um and i just see it kind of bouncing around that that number i don't see it i don't see a trend um versus versus one way or the other but you would think that you know when someone came up with the 20 percent, it was pretty arbitrary and it's it's amazing how that has stuck for so long um, I think you know one of the things is when you're investing in a fund that's quite expensive if if the if the man the investment manager is taking twenty percent of your you know twenty percent of your profits. Um, but I guess what what you're getting with that is you're getting an investment manager that's full time working with a team to manage these investments. Um, you get better diversification because you have a pooled assets structure, and you get better economies of scale on, on the expenses. And then you get all the assurances that everything's being done in a professional way due to the regulation around having a fund. I'd love to jump in and really just start with some best practices. So what, what, what do you love to see when you have a new client, whether they're existing or whether they're just starting up, what do you like to see them come to you with? you know, prepared for, for those first few meetings? So I think the first, when they first come to us, um, usually they've, uh, usually they've hired a law firm and usually we're the second, we're kind of, the, we're the second, second down the line. And then there's an administrator. So I like to see that they're working with a law firm that is experienced in this, in this space. Um, and then I like to know that they're in the process of looking for an administrator that will be able to do the professional accounting of everything. Um, those are two. Those are two things that I look for. If someone comes to me and they said they're going to do it internally, you know, if they if they're going to do the accounting internally, that makes me very nervous because a lot of times people are taking on more than they know. They think it's manageable, but it can get very unmanageable very very quickly. It's very it's very different than someone saying, "Hey, we're going to manage this retail operation and use QuickBooks or any variety of tools that are existing, and there's a standard workflow that they may have been using for years." Yeah, and in QuickBooks, you can you can definitely use QuickBooks to do the financials. That's not a problem at all. But there's also a portfolio accounting system that needs to be in place to to, to account for the portfolio of trading, which QuickBooks is not designed to do. Um, and that's where the that's where the admins that's where the admins come in. Yeah, I mean, I I think that also uh, in terms of businesses right involved with crypto, um, again, it's. It's really important that they work with uh, reputable attorneys on um, um, the, the structuring and everything. Because I, you know, occasionally, I, most most of them come to me after they've hired a law, a law firm, but occasionally they don't, and that's what I would advise them. Right, first of all, you need to operate your business legally. Right, that's more important than, than tax. <laughs> so. Um, you know, tax, you could lose, let's say the tax rate is 30%, you lose 30%. But if you're operating illegally, you lose 100%. <laughs> right. and, and, and that's, you know, shockingly, that's extremely common in this industry. Um, I mean, we see these DAOs fire up and collect tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars with no formal structure, no oversight, no recording, no nothing. And then they're shocked when no one will take their money. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's definitely what you want. That's what you want to avoid. But it, I mean, it does happen because things happen very quickly, and people they want to jump on the opportunities. So, what's the story with um, uh, custodians and and security in this world? It's a little different, right? Than than in the tradfi world. So, what are you seeing? What kinds of questions are people asking, or 
to Jay's point about best practices, what's what are people doing with these these funds in this in strange new world? So I don't have a lot of visibility in how the custody how the custody works for this. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't know. Yeah, I don't have direct exposure, but I've heard of uh, you know such things in conferences and certain uh, you know firms they would only do custod uh, provide such services to you know the larger cryptocurrencies. But somehow this it, involves um, like security, right? So all that stuff, and they wouldn't touch the smaller ones. And so uh, I'm sure it's it's about security. Um, I, I love that you guys really don't have like any good experience for that because that's just how early we are in this asset class. I mean, the fact that there is, no, you know, the best practices are just best guesses or, or best feelings at this point um, really showcases a lot that, you know, I'm sure you guys are, are subjected to a number of conferences and webinars every month. And that no one's ever sat down and said, "Here's a good flow. Here's the here's a good flow for an ecosystem for a crypto fund. Here's a really good way to, to deal with custody." And the fact that no one's speaking up outside of probably the vendors themselves to say, "Here's how we do it best," um, but there's no lar- large firms like yourselves saying, "Here's how what we recommend to our clients." It really speaks to just how early in this asset class uh, we are. When we're all just trying to figure it out. What well, are, what are, yeah, also, I mean, Ander, with Anderson, that's probably outside of what our specialty and what we would do. So we wouldn't be, we generally wouldn't be involved in it. We get it with, you know, when we talk to prospects, a lot of times they'll ask us for referrals for various things. And the custody hasn't been something that's come up a lot. It's mostly legal and admins. What are some of the, and I know there's some obvious ones, but what are some of the, the real big just no-nos? Like that, that absolutely... You know, if you're thinking about doing A, you just need to stop and really take a second. And so we hear about people raising funds prior uh, to, ha- to formation, but but even during formation and, and when they've got the legal structure, what, what are some things that you're seeing, uh, if you're seeing anything at all, that's just a, a common occurrence that people just are, for lack of understanding, doing that they shouldn't be doing? So I think one one area of risk is when you bring in foreign investors into the fund. So there's different things that occur when a foreign investor invests that cause them to pay U.S. taxes. Generally, capital gains are exempt from, from U.S. taxes for foreign investors. So that's very good. Um, however, for, for hedge funds that trade marketable securities, they rely on something called the, the trading safe harbor exception. And that's, that's for securities and commodities. However, since cryptocurrencies appear to be commodities, their rules are, their, the rules are, are different. And so for a commodity to meet the trading safe harbor exception, it has to be traded on a futures exchange, a qualified futures exchange, which is generally probably a U.S. exchange. And maybe there might be a few foreign exchanges that, that, that qualify. And so right now, I think the only cryptocurrencies that really are traded there's only a few cryptocurrencies that are traded on futures but that's probably gonna that's gonna probably rapidly change but so what that means is that if you have foreign investors and you're doing a you're you're doing a you're doing active trading you're not buy and hold you could potentially have eci exposure or effectively connected income that the foreign investor would need to pay taxes on and you're required to withhold on that and if you don't withhold on that, the IRS can come get the money from you instead of the foreign investors. The idea is once the money leaves the country, the U.S. is going to have a hard time recovering any taxes. 
So they would go to the fund manager to get the to get those taxes. So this is an area I think where there is there is some risk, and there's been some discussion. You know, if Bitcoin's a commodity and it's a cryptocurrency because it trades on a futures exchange, can you apply that to all the other cryptocurrencies? They're just they're also they're just like Bitcoin. They're just you know. And I think there's there is some authorities that would say that that's not the case. You have to look at each commodity separately. I, and I would agree with that final statement. I mean, there's there is uh, each one's individual, and so there's a very big difference between Bitcoin uh, than there is Doge, and and very big difference between that and and you know an Ave, which is an actual protocol. Even though I think most people have no idea when they're buying and selling cryptocurrencies what these things actually do. Or, or what they're related to. I mean, I, I see people constantly like, yeah, I own a lot of Bitcoin cash. Do you know what that is? No, it's just some random thing that just keeps to existing, but there's no dev team behind it, but it's there. You know, so I, I think that, you know, education, which is one, one of the things we keep pushing very heavily into the space, um, is desperately needed. And that means going outside the TikTokers and the, the YouTubers that are pumping these coins for the pump and dump schemes, that, that at some point we need, um, you know, the traditional professionals to come in and explain these things in really boring English, really boring tax terms, um, because that that's the biggest difference. And I think that one of the things that you guys just have said and said repeatedly is, um, you know, proper tax representation, whether you're a fund or an individual, will absolutely change your strategy if done right. Um, and, and every year... <laughs> Probably every month or a week, depending on how often these things comes down, you know, you need to have a resource for that. And so I, I guess, you know, do you guys have, do you guys publish a blog? Do you do um, webcasts? How do you best inform your clients of these changes where they need to be advised uh, and, and adjust their trading strategies based on that? I think we've published uh, uh, a number of uh, tax releases uh, uh, over the last few years, um, addressing whether it's funds or even individuals investing in crypto and how the taxation, um, you know, works, uh, or at least, uh, you know, people should be paying attention to. So, obviously, that's an area that we'll continue to, uh, or that's a way we continue to use to, um, you know, communicate to, uh, sorry, clients and potential clients. So yeah, we have a national we have a national practice that monitors all of these different court cases for all the industries that we, we do we have clients in, and then um, we do publish these newsletters. We work with the national tax to do it. Highs publish quite a few of them, um, and that's how we you know that's generally how we get our information out there. I think our I think anybody can go to the Anderson website and subscribe to our newsletters to get you know just get tax you know breaking tax news information that that we put out. Um, and that's that's how we do it. What what kinds of let's talk about sort of that marketing angle. What kinds of things are you guys are you two specifically focusing on for for the next twelve to twenty four months as you guys build your practices? So you're at you're at uh, you know one of the largest and biggest brands in TradFi, uh, and yet you know you're doing alternative investing, which puts you on the edge. So you guys have resources, and yet you're looking for uh, the next big thing. It, it would appear. Tell, tell us about where you're marketing and where you're investing your your efforts to try and attract new uh, new business in the next 12 to 24 months. So I think definitely definitely the crypto space is is an area that that we're targeting, um, and we have a very 
we have a very strong network of admins and attorneys that we work with. And so there's kind of what happens is you, you, there's a lot of referrals. There are a lot of referrals that go back and forth. And so we put a lot of energy in the, in the crypto space. Traditionally, I've done, I've done mostly hedge funds. But right now, I see that there's there's a much bigger opportunity with with these with the cryptocurrency fund launches, and it doesn't seem like it's you know it doesn't seem to me like it's slowing down. It seems like it's speeding up. I mean, it does it does go down when crypto is there is some correlation with the value of cryptocurrency. So when the markets go down, there's less launches, but when they go up, you see a lot more you see a lot more launches. But over the last five years, it's been a pretty it's been a, a pretty steady it's been a pretty steady flow. Um, and I see I see my portfolio of clients, the portion that's doing crypto is going to be increasing over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'll add to that. Basically, um, more than in any other area, there's within crypto, there's a, a lot more referrals from existing clients. Or um, I think the reason is that there are far fewer qualified tax professionals that are knowledgeable in this space. So if your friend is using a good <laughs> crypto tax expert, um, you know, you're going to use it because you don't have any other alternatives. And also, it's, it's so much more decentralized. Basically, I have clients all over the world because of that. They don't care about, you don't have to be located next to me. You could be anywhere, and as long as you're good. Um, the other source is, is uh, our international network. So, uh, for example, last last year I received a lot of referrals from a um, uh, UK venture capital firm. I would never have any contact with them except that they have contacts with our UK firm and. Um, you know, they funded a lot of uh, blockchain companies and they're looking for, you know, some of them looking for U.S. tax advice. So my colleagues in the U.K. kind of refer that to me. Um, so we're going to see a lot more uh, of that going on. So now, of course, Latin America, um, it's uh, <clears throat> I think it's heading pretty big there. A lot of people are interested in investing or starting uh, companies in that space. And, um, you know, I've, I've been asked to uh, present to our Latin American uh, colleagues about what we can do here. Interesting. I think we, so, also, we also do a lot of work with um, family offices. And so a lot of people investing in crypto have, have earned a lot of wealth, a lot of wealth very quickly. And now they're diversifying their their investments. They're thinking from a, a family perspective, and so we're working with a lot of a lot of people that have made a lot of money in crypto. That now, you know, they're probably still doing a lot of crypto, but they're diversifying their assets too. And so we're working with those family offices. You mean the, you mean the smart ones that have pulled some money off the table and aren't aren't you know eighty you know one hundred and eighty percent up and then ninety percent down and then you know riding the waves back and forth forever? Yeah, I mean, you just see people that that use diversification as a tool, which is, which is smart guys. One of the f- cases that popped up in the media that, uh, and you alluded to it earlier that, you know, not everything is as it seems it involved, uh, a, a, a district federal district court talking about taxation of staking income. Um, I guess, you know, all of us want to know, you know, how to read the tea leaves on this. What, what do you think it means? And what is, what's a, a, a an accurate way to describe what happened and what are the, paths you see forward, um, whether it's the IRS or the other courts on this topic? 
Yeah, so basically this is, I think this is what happened. Right? So it's the, a couple in uh, Tennessee uh, did some staking and received, I think it's 8,000 Tezos uh, in tw- 2019. They initially filed their tax returns reporting that as income. And then later they amended their return at demanding a refund, uh, which is about $3,800. Uh, and then they didn't hear back from the IRS for a while. They decided to uh, sue the IRS for a refund, at, after which um, they got communications from the IRS saying, hey, we're going to refund it. So <laughs> so that hopefully they, they'll drop the case, right? And they declined the refund. And they're saying, uh, no, we, we're going to go to court and really settle it in court. Uh, their rationale is that they want a clear ruling from the from the court that this is not taxable upon receipt. It's only taxable when the tezos were sold for cash or whatever other things. And um, so that's where it stands. Um, you know, they got support from I think I believe it's proof of stake. Um, is it alliance? Um, you know, which also wanted to get this um, clarity. Obviously, they would like the IRS to back off and admit that this is not taxable upon receipt and it's only taxable upon sale. Um, it's it's at this point um, they haven't started. I think it's scheduled for a court. Um, you know, rule uh, next year. It's for next year. And anyways, it's going to be a while. Uh, it's um, it's far away from in, in the future, and if the, even if the court rules in favor of the taxpayer, the IRS could still appeal. So we don't know how long we'll see the end result of this. So uh, I think that as of now, it's still not clear, right? It's not clear why the IRS decided to concede and refund. And could it be just they don't want to go through <laughs> a court fight just for $3,800? Or it could be something else. We have no idea. So at this point, it's I think it's too early to say, hey, uh, the IRS lost, and therefore we don't have to report uh, staking income upon receipt. Now, this is not uncommon. When Whenever there's a new, I mean, there's they're still using archa- very archaic, very old regulations for the, the, the normal internet. Um, you know, when we think of the DMCA and uh, some, of, some of these kind of outdated protocols that are used for, for accounting or copyright purposes today, it's not really out of lines for the IRS or someone else just to lean on something and say, eh, it's close enough. We're going we're gonna to go with this. This is new standard, uh, which is maybe why they were just trying to refund because they were going, crap, we kind of like not having a ruling on this, not having any, any clear decisions. Um, What's your feeling, though? On just and again, this is an opinion, nothing, nothing of advice. What is your, you know, opinion as as a professional on this about how staking should be treated? Yeah, that's okay. That's tough to say. Now, I could say that. Um, so this goes back to 2014, right? When um, the IRS issued a notice saying mining is taxable upon receipt. So if you mine Bitcoin and you receive Bitcoin because of that, it's taxable right away. You don't wait till you sell um, the Bitcoin to pay taxes. 
And, you know, obviously it's not exactly staking, but you could argue that it's very similar. And this is why most people until now think that staking income is taxable upon receipt of the staking award. And so, so in that case, I would say that the IRS is going to, you know, try to defend its position uh, and try to say this is taxable in, in a court fight, because otherwise, if they lose this, people are going to say, well, mining shouldn't be taxable either. And I think that's a big deal. Uh, I know a lot of even publicly traded companies are in the business of mining Bitcoin. That would defer their taxes a lot. Right? That, that, that A lot of money is at stake. Um, you know, in terms of the IRS's position on mining, it's it's kind of controversial, right? So in most cases where you manufacture products, right, you don't pay taxes until you actually sell them. It's not when you manufacture them, right? But the IRS, I could see their point. They're thinking that, hey, you create it, you come up with these Bitcoins. Well, you could spend it any time, right? This is just like money, except they're saying, they're also saying Bitcoins are not, Currency, right? so that's sort of contradicting themselves, and so that's that's tough. Um, it's hard to say where it's going to land, but um, this could have huge ramifications. You know, when this this is settled. Um, to to in in your minds in any way, shape, or form, and again, these are opinions; these aren't facts or or anything else, but opinions. Do you believe that that the U.S. you know tax organizations would prefer to see blockchain-based accounting, where it's public, it's on chain, and once they have the tools, you know, there's it's it's either correct or it's not. They don't have to come hunt and do these closed-door audits anymore. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely the potential of it is to to have a better system of accounting for everything, and I think that that could eventually be very, very helpful and make it very transparent what everything, what's going on. And, and then it's easier. You don't really have to hunt. You just, you just know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, especially when you're thinking about managing the security on chain, you know, you can absolutely do that behind closed doors, but if you want to know if something, you know, illegal or immoral is happening, you have to do the audit. You have to go dive in and look at it. If it's on chain, um, you know, it's generally not transparent to everyone, but if, if an auditor has the, the key, the correct key to see what they're supposed to be seeing, it's all there. Um, and, and so I, I really do look at this as, you know, not, not a, you know, fad, um, but, but clearly this is the future of, of the financial industry. Clearly it's coming. It's going to take, you know, maybe another five to 10 years to reach mainstream uh, for, for certain uh, certain companies. Um, banking is, is going to go kicking and screaming the same way the record industry went with this, same way the movie industry and, and uh, you know, Blockbuster went. Um, but, you know, are you guys clearly who you, you're working in and around this asset class? Uh, you, you feel like you've got a long, prosperous career ahead of you uh, uh, doing this? I do think that. I mean, I think this is, it, it, it's going to continue to evolve. So who knows what it's going to be like in 10 or 20 years. But I think uh, I, I'm, in, I'm not I'm not doing this as a short term. You know, I'm not 
working with crypto clients on a short-term basis. It's more of I see the long-term potential to it. And so that that's why we're in this space, and that's why we're assisting these clients. Love it, love it. Uh, Ed, hi. Uh, how can people reach you if they're if they're either a getting ready to start a fund or or b uh, need a little help with anything they may have done in the past? What's the best way to get hold of Anderson? But we've included both um, both our phone numbers and our our emails, so that's always a good that's always a good place to start. Um, and also, the Anderson website is another place to start. But you can you can contact Hi and me directly, and we're happy to assist and kind of vet things out and see what kind of services make sense for us to provide. Fabulous, love it. And and one of the things we always do for our guests is we give them a gift. It's an NFT. It's artwork. It's a gift. Hopefully, you don't have to claim any taxes on it. Uh, but Mia will absolutely get your uh, get your ETH addresses if you have some. And we'd love to go ahead and drop you one of our uh, Y Whale Crystal Whales, guys. It's been absolutely fabulous. I have to tell you, this is one of the the hardest interviews to do because it is a challenge to understand the space in and of itself today, let alone the implications of what you're doing for a, a, a regulatory body that has no clear guidance and really doesn't understand the space as well. So I really applaud you guys for being trailblazers in this and doing everything you can to uh, protect your clients, advise your clients. Uh, and I really look forward to speaking with you more over the years so we can uh, kind of watch in this entire thing evolve together. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Good. All right. Thank you, Wales. There's All another right. one. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.